he was asked a question. If you don't know who Charles Haddon Spurgeon was uh, in Baptist life, he was known as the Prince of Preachers. Um, over a hundred years ago in London, England, he had a phenomenal preaching ministry where hundreds of thousands of people uh, were saved and uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote countless books and um, was a brilliant man. And he came to the end. And it's recorded that the last question in his last words, the answer to the question, he was asked the question, Mr. Spurgeon, what is your gospel now? And Charles Haddon Spurgeon answered with these simple words, Jesus died for me. The brilliant theologian, the man whom hundreds of thousands came to faith in Christ through his preaching, when it came to the very end and he said, what is it all about? He simply said, Jesus died for me. At the very essence of the gospel is the simple truth that we teach our children that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. When the gospel writers, those who recorded the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, when they wrote the story of Jesus, there is one event that they devote more words or pages in our Bible to than any other event in the life of Jesus by far. And we could look at each gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we could, we could find the chapters that are devoted to this one event, and we would say, wait a second, this is like disproportional. The one event that they devoted more space to than anything else was... The death of Jesus on the cross. At the very center of the gospel message is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the simple gospel message that Jesus died for me and my sins. The gospel writers are very consistent in the story that they tell. Actually, there comes a point in Jesus' life and ministry and He had chosen 12 men and He had invested His life in them and He had taught them and He had... Um, done miracles and cast out demons and healed the sick, preached the gospel, announced the kingdom. And we even saw last week that there comes a point in the three years that he turns over 
those things to the twelve and says, No, now I am authorizing you and I am sending you out to do the very things that you have seen me do. But then after that, there comes a point in the ministry in which Jesus sets his, the scripture says he sets his eyes to go to Jerusalem. And he begins to talk to the disciples of the events that will happen when he gets to Jerusalem. And he said, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify and the third day he will rise again. We, we see it in several Gospels. But Jesus knew what was coming. He not only knew that he would die. But he knew by whom, whose hands he would die. And he knew the kind of death he would die. He would die on the cross. Jesus knew it. When he got to Bethany outside of Jerusalem... Mary anoints Jesus with expensive perfume and some people are appalled. And Jesus said, she has anointed my body for burial. The days were close. Actually, the hours were close. The night before his death, he met in the upper room for the Passover meal. It was Passover time among the Jews, the religious celebration that celebrated their deliverance from Egypt and the death, the, 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 the killing of the sacrificial lamb and the blood that went on their doorpost so that the death angel passed over. They commemorated that. It was Passover. There was a reason not only where Jesus died, but when Jesus died. Because it was during the Passover feast that the sacrificial lamb would be slain. For the sins of the people in obedience to God. And so Jesus meets in the upper room to celebrate the Passover and actually the last meal with his disciples. And he takes the bread and he says, It's my body that is broken for you. My body will be broken. And he took the cup and he said, It is my blood that will be shed for you. Just as the lamb was broken. And the lamb was slain and the blood was spilt. Jesus said, so it will be for me. It is there that Judas leaves the group and goes to get the religious authorities. And Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. After they finished in the upper room, they went to the garden of Gethsemane. And there Jesus prays in anguish because of the cup. That the father said he would drink of the death, which, which symbolized the death. And Jesus said, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, if I don't have to go through this, because Jesus knew what was coming, if that is possible, if there's any other way. And after hours of praying, Jesus came to the place where he would say, But not my will, but yours be done. And as he finished the prayer, the soldiers came with Judas, and he was arrested. And everyone forsook him. They all fled. And in those early morning hours, he was brought 
to be tried by the Jews and by the Romans, including Pilate and Herod. In each of those settings, he was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was slapped. It says he was spit upon. And in the midst of that, Jesus remained silent, not defending himself in fulfillment of the Scripture of the Old Testament that he would be like a lamb that was led to the slaughter but opened not his mouth. When Jesus could have defended himself in those trials, he did not. There comes a point in those early morning hours that Pilate actually tries to release Jesus to the people in custom of the, of the feast that he would release a, a, a prisoner. And is it Barabbas? Is it Jesus? And they yell for Barabbas, free Barabbas. And he says, but I have found no fault in this man. What do you want me to do to him? And the resounding cry came from the crowd, crucify, crucify him, crucify him. That only the Romans could do. Pilate washes his hands and condemns Jesus to be crucified. This was the custom, the process of crucifixion. Jesus was first scourged. He was stripped of his clothes, tied to a pole, and there he was whipped. 39 lashes. Not 40, but 39. The intent of the scourging was to bring the prisoner to the point of death without them dying. And so his body was ripped open. After that, he would then carry his cross, the the cross beam, I think the top part, the horizontal part. He would carry the cross piece from the courtroom inside Jerusalem to outside the city walls. But if you remember the story of Jesus, he was so beaten that he was not able physically to carry his cross. And it says that the Roman soldiers compelled a man, Simon of Cyrene, to carry his cross to the place of crucifixion, the place of the skull, uh, in their language, Golgotha. And there the Roman soldiers nailed Jesus' hands to the cross piece and his feet to the vertical piece of the cross. The gospel writers record that in the midst of him being nailed to that cross, that he was praying a prayer over and over. That's what the scripture says. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Jesus prayed for the forgiveness of those in the midst of excruciating pain. When he hung on the cross, they offered him sour wine laced with gall, which was to be a sedative. But when Jesus tasted it and knew that it was a sedative, he refused it. We have to assume so that he would suffer the fullness of the pain of crucifixion. The people that passed by mocked Jesus. You saved others. Save yourself. The religious leaders came by and joined in in the mocking. 
Even the soldiers mocked Jesus. Actually, the scripture says that even the thieves that were crucified beside him on his right and on his left, the scripture says that there were three people baptized, crucified that day. And that Jesus was in the middle and there was a thief on the right and there was a thief on the left. And the Gospels record that both of them ridiculed him. But there came a point where there is a turning of the heart of one of the thieves. And he chastises the other man. Why do you ridicule him? He has done nothing wrong. And in a simple prayer, the thief, the repentant thief, said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. At three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus gasped three statements at the very end. The first one being recorded in one of the Gospels, several of the Gospels actually. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We would have to believe that as Jesus felt the fullness of the sins of the world placed upon him, he felt for the first time in his life separation from the Father. And so the statement, my God, my God... Why have you forsaken me? And after that, he utters the statement, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then finally, the final statement, it is finished. And it says that he died. Having completed the purpose of his life, Summarized by the simple statement in the scriptures and by Charles Haddon Spurgeon on his deathbed, Jesus died for me and my sins on that cross. The gospel writers devote more time to that story than any other part by far from the life of Jesus because the gospel writers gloried in the cross. The cross was the defining event of, of redemptive history. American Christians, the cross is more than a symbol that we wear on a piece of jewelry, we display on our car, or we decorate the walls of our homes with. It is the defining event of redemptive history. Something very real happened there. The old hymn asked the question, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there? When they crucified my Lord. The resounding answer to that 
question asked in that old hymn is, Yes, I was there. Because Jesus died for my sins on that cross. And even though for us in this room it happened over 2,000 years ago, I was there because my Savior died for me. Even though it was 2,000 years removed. It was there on the cross that He died for not only the sins of the people that stood there at the cross that day, but that He died for all of us and for all who had lived, would ever live. His payment for sin was sufficient for the sins of all people of all time. I want you to understand that when the gospel message is preached, we are brought back to the foot of the cross. And we could say, well, no, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. I tell you today as I tell you the story, you and I are brought to the foot of the cross. And the very real events that happened there and the significance for us that Jesus died for my sins there. Whether you've accepted it or not, He died for your sins on that cross. So when the gospel is preached, we are brought to the foot of the cross. My intent for these Sundays between now and Easter... is that I would bring us to the cross and in the cross we would see its glory. The glory of the cross. And we would understand whatever our need would be that it is met in the cross. The Apostle Paul, when writing to the Galatians, Actually, there comes a point in Galatians chapter 6. I don't know if you know this, but Paul would dictate his letters to an amanuensis, a secretary who would write it out. There came a point in all of his letters where he would say, hand me the pen. And in Galatians, just a few verses before verse 15 and uh, verse 14 and verse 11, he says, see what large letters I write with my own hand. Paul said, give me the pen because I want to write something very personal. And when he's closing out Galatians, he says in Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. From the very essence of Paul and of his life, he said, "If oh, actually, I like the old King James. This is the way I memorize it. This is the way that one goes through my head. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, I guess the greatest Christian to ever live. If he said, you want to know something from the depths of my heart, Galatians? What I'm all about, I want you to know that the one thing I glory in. And God forbid, it, that's a very strong word, almost bordering on uh, profanity. God forbid that I would, it's a very strong statement was my point, God forbid that I would glory in anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ in which Jesus died for my sins. 
the Apostle Paul knew that it was never about what he had done, but what God had done and all that God ever needed to do for him was done on the cross. So God forbid that I should ever glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in the cross, all of our spiritual need is met. It's amazing to me as this week I've gone through the New Testament and even some of the Old Testament and the way that people and we will be in the next this month and next month be looking at the ways that the writers the inspired writers of scripture saw the glory of the cross and what it meant but at the cross all of our spiritual need is met. If you just think about Paul, who would glory in nothing other than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. From Paul's own words, he would teach us that it is at the cross that we see the ugliness of our rebellion and we are convicted of our sin. I think Paul would say, no, if you come to the cross, what you realize is what God had to do because of my rebellion against Him. And so we see the ugliness of our sin and we are convicted of our sin, of our rebellion. Paul stated it this way in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I was in rebellion, what kind of God would that be that would die for someone who was in rebellion against them? It is at the cross that we discover a Savior who identified with my sufferings. We read it in the life group I am a part of this morning in Philippians 2.8. Paul says, In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. If we ever come to the place in life where we say, Does God even understand what I'm going through? Jesus went through the suffering and the agony of the cross so that we could never say, No, He can't identify. Oh, Jesus can't identify. And the reason, part of the reason I told the story is that we would understand the shame and the humiliation and the mocking, not to mention the physical pain, excruciating pain that Jesus went through. And so in the midst of our life and when we go through difficulty and we ask the question, no, but does God identify with my life and my pain? The resounding answer at the cross is yes. Because he left the glory, the gates of glory, his position and privilege and glory, and he took on human flesh, is what Paul is saying in Philippians 2. And he humbled himself not just to die for us, but the most excruciating, gruesome death of all, even the death of the cross. That's what Jesus did to identify with me and my suffering. 
It is in the cross that we find forgiveness of our sins through the shed blood of Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. (laughs) What does the hymn say? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When the question comes, but... What do I do about my sins and my guilt before a holy God? Jesus shed His blood to pay the price as the perfect Lamb of God for me and for you and for every person who's ever lived. It is at the cross that we encounter a God who loves us, who would love us so much that He would take our place Uh This also came up in our life group. What do we deserve because of our sin? We, We deserve death. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Jesus, I'm sorry, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. If you ever wonder in life, how do I know that God loves me? He died for you. He so wanted you to be restored to the Father and not to have to suffer the penalty of your sin that He died in your place. It is at the cross that we realize that God is seeking us out, that it was Him who came to reconcile our broken relationship when we are in rebellion against Him. And so Paul would write in Colossians 1.20, For by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled a God that was so broken hearted because of the alienation that we had created by our own rebellion he said I'm going to come and I'm going to do everything I can to put our relationship back together even when we're in rebellion it's at the cross that we realize that God was seeking us out to reconcile us. It is at the cross that we discover the power that frees us from sin. Paul stated it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those, I'm sorry, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Actually, the cross is more than just taking away our sin. It's through the cross that our life is opened up to the transforming power of Jesus to change the sinner to a saint, to change my my dark heart 
I think it's Callie said it. My black heart was made white by the blood of Jesus. The power doesn't just take away my sin. It has the power to free me from sin. And finally it is at the cross that we hear the message that there is no other way to God. The only way to get to the Father is through the Son. And the only way to get to the Son is through the cross. You have to come through the cross. If this is what God did, the defining event in redemptive history, there is no other way. There is no other salvation. You're not going to make it any other way than to come to the cross to get to the Son and through the Son to get to the Father. The old hymn states it this way. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. A home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way. From the burning of the noontide noontide heat and the burden of the day. The second verse states... Upon that cross of Jesus, mine eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my smitten heart, with tears, two wonders, I confess the wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. We glory in the cross. Because the gospel writers gloried in the cross. They gave a prominence and a place to the death of Jesus that corresponded to the significance of that event. But we also glory in the cross because in the cross we find all of our spiritual need met. When the gospel message is preached, we are brought to the cross. There were many people at the cross 2,000 years ago. And I guess in some respects they all experienced the same thing of watching Jesus die. But there were only some who received the message and the act and the event by kneeling at the cross. I've told you the only way to the Father is through the Son and the only way to the Son is to the cross. Jesus died for all. Most will not kneel at the cross. 
When the gospel message is preached, we are brought to the cross, and the cross elicits a response, a decision, something that we must do. And for those who believe, that means kneeling at the cross and confessing that we are sinners and we are needed of a Savior and there is no other way through what Jesus Christ has done and never what I have can do or will do or can do. There's no other way. Not my religious deeds. It doesn't matter what I've done, either good or bad. Because regardless of what we've done, it's paid for on the cross. And whatever we've done, it's never going to be good enough to get us to the Father. Because we can only go to the Father through the Son. And we can only go through the Son by the cross. The cross elicits a response. And the response is surrender to say, yes, I admit I am a sinner. And the only way I can get to the Father is through the cross. And so I submit my life. That's why Paul would say in that Galatians 6.14, not only would he say that God forbid that I should glory that I should boast except in the cross of Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul would say when we come to the cross and we kneel, and it, it came in that experience for Paul on the road to Damascus, and as he's in Damascus, of submitting himself to the Savior who had died for him and understanding who Jesus was, that we have to surrender our hearts and our lives. And then Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The, cross that, the, the life that kneels at the cross experiences the crucifixion of its life with Jesus in the spiritual realm. I don't know, but I would guess... Most people in this room have had an experience in their life in which they were brought before the cross and they knelt and they surrendered their hearts to Christ. I'm not God, so I don't know people's hearts. But I would guess that most people in this room have knelt at the cross. But I would also assume that there are some in this room who have not. I want to make the gospel message very clear today that it's only through the cross that we get to the Father. We'll never make it on our own. And the simple gospel message is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. But you must accept that. If you've never taken that step of your life, Paul said today is the day of salvation. It's never tomorrow. It's always today. It is now. And so part of the reason I preach what I preach this morning is for some of you, and maybe it's only a small fraction of the people that are here today, if you need to come and kneel at the cross, there is an initial surrender of life that must be made when we are confronted by the cross. And in just a moment, Byron and I will be at the front. 
to visit with you about that or you can talk with us after the service or this week or find a Christian that you trust to talk to. You know what? The last thing I want to say is that there is more to the Christian life than just kneeling at the cross. Kind of my angle for this series of sermons, The Glory of the Cross, is not only must we kneel at the cross, but I would say to us Christians, some of us who have been on the road for many years, we have to stay at the cross. I think that's what the hymn writer meant when he said, Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. No, this is where I will stay. And sometimes we don't understand that it's actually the cross that gives meaning and encouragement and hope to the lives that we live. It is the crucified life. And whatever our need is in the midst of that, that need is met in the cross. And so I want us in these weeks that follow to see the glory of the cross. And my prayer as a pastor, your pastor, is that as there are things in your life that you struggle with, I hope as we look at the cross from all angles that you'll see, you know what? That thing that I struggle with is met in the cross. And so not only must I kneel at the cross, but I must stay in the shadow of the cross to experience the life that Christ has provided for me. So this morning I'm going to ask you to stand. And Byron and I will be at the front. Brother Shane will come and lead us. Uh, the altar is open this morning for you to come and to kneel and to pray. Um, if you're in need of the Savior today, you can come and speak with us also as we sing.